It's uh, 1 Samuel 14. I'll be reading just verses 6 through um, 6, just 6 and 7, just verses 6 and 7. First Samuel 14, starting with verse 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, and may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we need it when we don't understand it. We need it when we do understand it. We need it when we don't think we need it. Lord, we need your word more than our necessary food. Lord, may it be spiritual bread this morning. May it be living water. If anyone here in this room doesn't know you, you mentioned saving here, Lord, that you would open their eyes, they would be saved. Lord, those of us that are already saved, Lord, we would grow, and we would go in accordance of your will and your spirit for the work you've put before us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're taking notes, I titled this uh, message this morning, The Impact of Together. Um, I, I really went at weeks ago when I said, all right, this is probably what I'll share when I get back. I won't have time to have really worked on Ephesians all that week and, uh, or, or Proverbs, which um, we're in on Wednesday night. So this is a message I had prepared a while back and shared it in Fredericksburg. So uh, the Lord just put on my heart this. And now it really does dovetail with what we just did as a team, but also what we are as a team. And I didn't expect to be wearing a team jersey when I shared this either. Uh, but the reality is, God has always been able to use one person. Well, he really needs, how many people does God know to do any work? Zero. He doesn't need a person. God could do a work without us. A poof, we could all be gone. God can do anything. He can save without us. He can refresh without us. He can do miracles without us. He doesn't need us. But he, oftentimes, God has used a single individual. Wouldn't you agree? That there's sometimes been just one person to stand in the gap, or one person who cared, or one person who prayed. But the desire of God is to stitch people together. And here Saul has uh, his armor bearer with him, but to kind of understand what's taking place here, let me kind of paint the picture for you of what's taking place. Uh, this time in Israel, um, Saul is the king. And even though Saul is the king and he kind of looked the part, Saul was the kind of guy that, that you would look at and say, now that, that's, that should be our leader. You, you, do you know that studies have shown that executives are usually a little bit taller than, than other people on average than other positions? People looked at people with stature. And Saul had it. He was about six foot four. He was chiseled. He had the look. And so with all of that, um, you know, he had the charisma and he had the presentation but the real power of God really wasn't on. It was on him at certain times, but he didn't have that kind of heart for the Lord that his son Jonathan had. Now, you hear a lot about David. David will come later, and David and Jonathan will become, those of you that know the Scriptures, they'll become really close friends. They'll be like a, uh, you know, a uh, James or, or a Peter and John kind of thing, really, really close, or a Paul and Barnabas. They'll become very, very close, but 
Jonathan had a great love for the Lord that his father didn't have. Jonathan's was just deep and really loved God, had great faith. Uh, Saul, a lot of times, was just kind of going through the motions. He had the position, but, but Jonathan had the heart. Um, and Jesus talked about this when it came to people that would serve him. He said, you don't want, because you don't want people in Christian leadership that are hirelings, that are just like, where's my paycheck? How many of you that are managers, you want someone that just wants their paycheck? Now, you want people that care about the business, care about the profitability of the company, care about the people in the company, care about the people in the business. And so Saul had some of that here and there, but Jonathan just had all, he cared about people, he cared about the Lord, he had that passion. And David, of course, had those same characteristics, and that's why they were so knitted together. Well, at this time, Saul was the king, David was not, uh, David was not yet even anointed by Samuel, this comes later. Uh, but Israel find them, found themselves in a very dark period, a very lean period. Uh, they always had issues with the Philistines. The Philistines were a nemesis. They were an army that was always attacking them, uh, trying to bring terrorism, trying to bring oppression. Uh, and they had, you know, it would be one thing if you lived in a village and your village gets raided and uh, people are killed and you know, women are taken away and just is it just kind of an anxiety that you would have about what's going to happen. Well, Israel at this time was feeling that because they were outnumbered as far as an army standpoint by the Philistines. But not only that, they didn't have the right weaponry. Uh, if you go back to the 13th chapter, uh, which we don't have time to go into, but in the 13th chapter, you'll see that uh, they didn't have weapons uh, for the army. Jonathan had some weapons. Saul had some weapons. The rest of the army virtually had no weapons. It's kind of hard you know, to really do a, a, a successful military campaign without the right weaponry. And they didn't have it because all the, um, the blacksmiths and the iron workers were in the Philistines. They had removed uh, Israel's ability to make weapons. So they were kind of fighting with uh, a lot less uh, ability as far as what, what you would expect any army to have. And so during this time, Jonathan has, he, he, he has some weapons, Saul has some weapons, but the army uh, is, is really, really depleted. And the Philistines liked it that way. And what they would do to make sure that they would keep uh, Israel subjected to them is that if Israel wanted anything, let's say they wanted a, uh, a shovel sharpened or they wanted a new axe head. They had to go to the Philistines. They had to pay an exorbitant price, so they would use economic pressure as well as intimidation, as well as terrorism, and they would use all these things to keep Israel right where they wanted them. Well, Jonathan was a man that loved the Lord, and what happens in life is the more you love God, God starts to have you believe in him more. It kind of goes hand in hand. You know, we've got this back here that says, we believe. Um, once you start believing God, you'll start loving God. And the more you love God, the more you believe God. And Jonathan loved God, so he started to believe the promises. And I believe Jonathan would probably say to himself, you know, God did some great things for Moses. I wonder if he can still do that stuff. You know, God did some great things for Joshua. I wonder if he can still do those things. You know, God did some great things for Noah. I wonder if God can still do these things. Brother and sister, do you wonder if God can still do those things? 
Of course, he changes not. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. So the closer you get to God, the more you see not only his love, but you see his majesty, you see his power, and you start to think, I can start praying for really big things because God really is able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And you start just praying and believing. They'll say, all I've got is a mustard seed of faith. Well, God will start with a mustard seed. Jesus is the one that said, you had mustard seed, faith, you could move what? Mountains. Because he knows how weak our faith actually is. And you know where strong faith comes from? Not because you just, I'm going to give myself strong faith. It comes by standing and kneeling and bowing in the presence of the Lord. And Joshua, I mean, Jonathan did that. He spent time with the Lord. He had that relationship, and his faith grows. And the first thing I want to look at, though, if you're taking notes, is what I've titled commission. Jonathan understood that God did not create him just to kind of be a number on earth, do his own thing, kind of get through life, find what kind of made him happy. Uh, Notice that if you're going to uh, do the work for the Lord, you're doing it for God because God has a will. Jesus said, thy will be done. God has a will for us individually, but also us collectively, us as a church family, uh, us as a mission team, we went down to El Salvador, but us as we go forward uh, in the remainder of this year, we've got basically a half a year left in 2017. Realize that? So we're right smack in the middle. This is Christmas in July. We've got Christmas coming uh, six months away. So we've got about a half a year left to do what God's asked us to do. And this isn't about just go do, 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 but it's to be be, be, be with the Lord, be strengthened by him, be inspired by the Lord to say, I want you to go and fulfill what? Well, ultimately, we've been given a commission. So if under this commission, if you're taking notes, God wants us to, number one, go. Jonathan said to the young man, let us go. Let us, not himself, let us go. We got to go. We're going to go and do what the Lord's asked us to do. Not in our own strength, but we can go. We must go. There's people that we've uh, got to go intercede for, intervene in their lives. Come, let us go to the garrison, these uncircumcised. Now, our fight today, remember the Old Testament and the New Testament, things in the old are revealed in the new, right? And the new actually sheds light on the old, but in the Old Testament, many of the things that you see that are physical, true physical statements like circumcision, we know that that has a spiritual manifestation in the New Testament. It is God tearing away the old or uh, that which was covering of sin, and actually God, it's a picture of he makes us pure. Well, we don't fight against the uncircumcised armies of the world. We do fight against the forces of spiritual darkness and all the demonic forces that come against us. Amen? So we have, we have to, when we go, when God says to uh, the team that's going into Bon Air tonight, notice I said team. It would be really hard for that team to be a team of one person. That's not a team, is it? It's not really a family. It's a single individual. But let us go when they go. It's not just the bars that are there, and there are bars here. It's not just the locked doors that are there. It is the spiritual forces that fight against, that don't want the gospel to come in. And so when Jonathan says, let us go into these armies, he says, we're going to a place 
that really is not going to receive us kindly. You know, the team, when we were down in El Salvador, a lot of the attacks on digestive tracts, on hamstrings, on hands, on just, just fatigue, that's the enemy's way of wanting the Christian to tap out. That's what he does. He says, you don't need to go. Someone else will go. But in Jonathan's case, he knew no one else was going to go. He's one of the only ones who has weapons. Now, his father could have gone, but he was actually not in any rush to go do anything. And Jonathan says, if the Lord is telling us there's people's lives at stake. So if, if there's no intervention from God, many Israelites, remember, they are in a place, they don't have many weapons. The Philistines are kind of gathering in and planning on wiping out certain communities. Again, to instill that terrorism. But it's not just to instill a terrorism. There's real lives going to be lost. And Jonathan says this, let us go that these are uncircumcised, that it may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving many. God wants to save. He has a desire to save, but he wants to put that same desire in us, doesn't he? So when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he said, first of all, you have a commission. Notice he actually said go before he, act, before he said anything about how you're going to feel about going. Did you notice that? He didn't preface it say, and when you feel like going. He didn't say it. And when it feels most comfortable, most convenient, everything else you've accomplished, every task you could possibly think of, your task list is perfectly clean. By the way, if you want to go on a mission trip or anywhere else for the Lord, for that matter, you will always leave the task list undone behind. It's just the way it is, right? You ever remember, say, when would be a good time for us to have kids? Well, that month wouldn't work. That month wouldn't work. Well, there's never a good time, right? When would it be a good time to actually get married and, and, well, everything will be perfect? No, there will always be something. That's why the Lord says, just go. Trust the Holy Spirit. God will go with you. Jesus said to go. The disciples, well, we don't know enough Scripture yet. We only had a three-year training period with you. We could really use six. God says, that's not what you get. I've told you to go. Simply to go. So Jonathan says, let us go. He's understood his commission and he's willing to say, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Some of you could be a big help to God in serving in children's ministry. We still have gaps over there. We still have some people that are working far too many Sundays because they love God so much, and they don't even have kids in the age group. Do you realize that? We've got people that serve in our children's ministry that do not have kids. We've got our youth leaders They've been working with our kids for 10 years. They don't have teenagers. They love your teenagers. They are loving together. They're going. When the Lord said, let us go to them, they said, okay, let's do it. Let's go together. And I believe that God wants us to have that heart of saying, Lord, we understand our commission. Our commission is to meet needs. Our commission is to bring the gospel to people. Our commission is to love those that are unlovable. Our commission is to visit widows and orphans in their time of need. Our visit, Jesus said, uh, I was in prison. I was naked and you fed me. Our, our mission is to go do these things, not to check a box, not to say, well, I, I hope I get an extra crown out of this, be, just because it's the heart of Jesus. Amen? And when we understand the commission and we accept it, and Jonathan says, you know what? 
I don't know if you know this, but Jonathan doesn't know this at the time. You know he's not going to live a long life? Some of us are under this illusion that we're going to live, uh, well, I'll do the stuff for God that I'm supposed to do for God when I get past this, 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 or milestone. We may not get past that milestone. Jonathan's going to live a short life. He doesn't know this. I mean, a sh- much shorter than he expects. He's going to die young like John the Baptist. John the Baptist only lived, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, about the same time as Jesus. So they both, you know, barely make it to their early 30s. And so, but God still had John the Baptist go and do these things with your life, right? And he did them. Wouldn't you say John the Baptist finished his task list? Wouldn't you say Jonathan's going to finish his task list? Many people are not going to get the 80 years, but God say, no, yours is going to be 35 years. Yours is going to be 40 years. So we must go while the Lord is saying, go. And Jonathan hears this, and he's understanding the commission, and he goes. If you're taking notes, let's look at the second thing. First is the commission. So we have to understand we have a commission. And again, it's not for everybody to go to El Salvador or the team that's going to Guatemala in August. It's not for every, you know, there's some people, I look at your, your age, your health issues, I say, no, no, this is definitely not the right thing for you to do, but we need you as a prayer warrior. Can you go to your prayer closet? Can you go there? Can you go serve in the children's ministry? Can you go and help our VBS team? They desperately need, can you help others go? That's part of the going. Can you pray for those? That are, all of it, it's all connected. See, Jonathan has an arm bearer. We're going to get to the arm bearer because the arm bearer is very important in this whole story in just a minute. But everyone has a commission. Everyone's called to go. Everyone's called to be part of the commission. But he says here, let's look at the next part. For, uh, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It not only may be, it will be. Isn't that great to know? The Lord will work for us. And here's the thing that Jonathan says is on his mind. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving. Isn't that great? Did you know that God from Genesis to Revelation is always focused on saving? The flood, saving, right? Well, that was destroyed. No, no, no. We're all here today because the family of, you know, we all descend from the family of Noah. Every single person in this room, we have the same exact ancestry if you go far enough back, which should stop us from dividing on such ridiculous things as skin color, culture, and language, and economic status. These things God hates, by the way. He hates that because he, are, he knows that it was all Adam and Eve first, and then they were gone, and then it was Noah and his family, and everybody else comes from that. But God's always been in the process of saving. And it may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan, you know, he has strong faith. By the way, that mustard seed is there because instead of saying it will be, he says it may be. But did you know that when you have enough faith to say, I think God might help me and you go anyway, that, will be, that might be becomes a will be. Usually after the fact. Then you put that worship song in and say, he can do anything after he's done it, right? Before that, you're like, I hope he can do this. Right? Not sure if he loves me enough. It's closer you're going to get me to singing right there. That was a prayer song, if you will. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, Jonathan knows the heart of God is saving. He loves his people. Do you love your American brothers and sisters? Do you, do you really want to see them saved? Do you know that when 
I'm, I'm going I'm to link the chain together. So if you say, I know that's true, so what can I do? Let, let's say you go and serve in the children's ministry. This was not in my notes. I don't have notes. I don't, this is just all what the Lord has given me. So if you're, I'm going to go serve in the children's ministry. How in the world would that win souls? I'll, let me link the chain. As you serve over there, and you relieve someone who's fatigued, who's been serving for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and filling gaps and getting called on Saturday night, they get refreshed. And here, they then, in their refreshing, go and invite someone that week. That person comes. It's well, they have kids. The children's ministries run so well, they drop their kids off. Their kids have a great time. They come back three Sundays in a row, and then they get saved. It's all connected. Now, I, I shrunk it down real short. I wish I could timeline. I've seen this over and over and over, and lots of ministries. The worship team, they, they worship every month. They practice every Monday night. You know, so uh, while you might be watching your favorite TV show, they're here practicing. And they practice, and, it, and if they practice, and they really give themselves, Lord, and the Spirit is poured out, a lot of times people are under conviction before I ever touch the Scriptures. I know I was when I first went to Calvary Fort Lauderdale. The worship had convicted me before the message was even, and I was already prepared. And so every single area. But all the, the whole thing is God is always desiring to save. The reason why we were praying for revival is God, even though a lot of Americans can't stand each other for the dumbest of things, it was so nice to be off social media for a week. I didn't hear anyone's rants about anything. And I, I'm talking to some of the poorest people in the world that had smiles on their faces, and they weren't posting on Facebook anything. And I, I, it was just, it was nice, and I'm not against Facebook. We use it. Um, don't, get me, don't get the wrong impression. That's not my point. My point is that God's desire is to save souls. He's not distracted with other things. He's always focused on saving. He's Everything that he wants to do through you is, is to save lives. He cares about revival in America when we don't care about it. And I, I told you before, what you need to pray when you don't care is you just tell God, Lord, right now I don't care and I want to care. That's an honest prayer. And God will hear that and he'll say, you're right, you don't care. But the fact that you know that that's a bad position to be in, I'm going to retilt your compass and help you care. But Jonathan said, Nothing would change the Lord from saving. He loved his people. He didn't want to see his people slaughtered by the Philistines. He didn't want to see a village pillaged. He didn't want to see people, their entire, whatever they own, wiped out. He said, what can I do? I know what I can do. I can trust that God will use me to stand in the gap, to go. And if God can do it by a few, like Noah's family, if God can do it by one, he's done it before, you know, Moses lifted up his staff. He's the only one that had the kind of faith. Everybody else wanted to, Moses, you've led us out here. He lifts up his staff. The Red Sea's part. He says, why not us? He had that compassion. It wasn't just, remember, first his faith came from, first his faith came from, he accepted his commission with obedience. Here I am, Lord, send me. Then he sees the people. And he see, then he has, what did it say about Jesus when he saw the multitude? He said he had compassion on the multitude. His compassion, he had already accepted his commission. How do we know this? Because he was already on the earth. He had to, first, Jesus and, and the Father, they're up in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God says, I need you to go to the earth. Jesus says, I will go. So he goes. 
Then he's here, and while he's here, he's in his commission, he's performing his commission, and it says he has compassion on the multitudes. And I think Jonathan looks out upon the landscape there in Israel, and if you get to go with us in 2019, you'll get to go to some of the same places. You'll see those vistas, and you'll see the little villages in the distance, and he could see each little village and say, that one could be saved, that one could be saved, that one could be saved. The same way we pray for Chester and Palatine and Goochland and downtown Richmond and all those areas. We say all these areas can be touched. All of them can be saved. And the Lord can use a tiny, small group of people. He can use a big church. I have great respect for some large churches in this country, and I have tremendous respect for some really tiny churches. God's not concerned about the size of the church. He is concerned about the heart of that church. He's not concerned about the size of your spiritual gifts, but he is concerned about your heart for him. And if you have a compassion, first of all, if you have an obedience to Christ, then you'll have develop a love for God, then you'll develop a faith in God, and then he will give you a compassion for people that will say, I'd rather go do this than just spend another moment feeding myself. And so Jonathan knows this could, be, this could be the end of his life. But if it's going to be the end of his life, somebody's going to get saved in the process. And he has that compassion. And then look finally at our last bullet point in verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. The last bullet, if you're taking notes, first was commission, second was compassion. The third is companionship. Isn't it nice not to be alone? Some of you, uh, you know, are lonely at times, and we need to be praying for those that are single in this church. You don't, we don't, those of you that are married and have kids running around the house, and you, you, may not, you may not think about other people don't have that. You might be whining and complaining like, it's so loud, I wish I could think in this place. Other people are like, I wish I had some noise in this place. Right? There's people at opposite ends of the spectrum. But the reason why Jesus saves the church and then, as we've been looking at Ephesians, brings them into what? Not just some army, although we are the army of the Lord, not just a nation, although we are the nation of God, the kingdom of the Lord, but that closeness and that intimacy of family. We receive one of the best compliments that I've received in my 10 years of being a pastor. We're down there, uh, Pastor Jorge and Carolyn um, they've been in ministry, I don't know how many years now. I mean, he, was, he served as the children's ministry director for Calvary Fort Lauderdale. That, that was managing ministry of over 3,000 kids a weekend. And then he took on the global missions, and because he's from El Salvador and uh, speaks Spanish and everything, he had a great hand in getting a lot of churches planted in Central America and down into South America. So he's been in ministry for many years now, and uh, and they've interacted with lots of different churches. And so far, they've had four or five churches up into us. They have three more coming this summer. But uh, Carolyn, on our last day, we were sitting around, and she said, you know, after observing these other churches, your church, she said to myself and a few others, she said, your church is the most family we've seen. She said, other churches, even when we've seen them as a group, they're kind of like this group's segmented over here, and this group's segmented over here. And, and personally, I don't like cliques. And I know God doesn't like them. And so we have to work. We, we've been looking at this in Ephesians. Remember it says in Ephesians, to endeavor to keep the peace? You know it takes work to be a tight-knit family? It doesn't happen by accident. 
you know, in the American home today, you know, well, the kids are up here and Sono's over here and they see each other like three times a week. But companionship, togetherness is something that you have to say, Lord, this is important to you. And if it's important to you, it's important to me. And what will you do with it? Well, what God will do with it is iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? Peer-level people that are in the, in the battle with you, that are walking beside you, when you're weak, they'll be at your side to pray with you. When you're not feeling so great, they'll be there to encourage you. One of the things that we, uh, we were discussing on the, on the mission trip and in in, among the team, uh, it's, a tr- it's true that if you believe something, you have a great chance of accomplishing it. But a force multiplier is when others believe you can accomplish it, it's even way stronger than just you believing it. Does that make sense? So, so you say, I believe God can help me do this. But when two people lay a hand on you and say, we believe that God will help you do this, you have an extra boost of confidence. And I believe, if you look back in uh, what, what uh, Jonathan said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Along comes armor bearer and says, go. I'm here with you. God wants every single person to have someone that comes up and says, I'm here with you. I'm not sure I could do this. I'm not sure I could even help in that ministry. I'm not sure uh, if I were to go to the Hilliard House thing on a Monday night, what would I even say to those people? You won't be alone. Maybe the first 10 times you go or the first two times you go, you don't say anything, but you just sit back and pray. That's powerful for the other people. Amen? I truly deeply appreciate if I'm in a setting where I'm going to have to do all the talking for whatever reason, whether it's in a foreign land or here, and I know people are praying for me, I am so, I feel the confidence when I know people are praying. So don't think that, the, will my silence be in there? No, you just being present. You ever heard of the term, just be present? I tell people, say, well, uh, I don't need, I don't really, I don't want to come to the prayer meeting because I don't pray out loud. You don't need to pray out loud. Just come. You being there, the Holy Spirit will honor it, will bless it. Well, I don't know if I add anything to the table. Are you alive? (laughs) Then you add something because you're just as special to God as anybody else is. You realize that, right? God doesn't look at you and say, well, you, you have such great skills. You add so much when you walk in the room. No. Each person becomes an armor bearer of the people around them. My wife is an armor bearer for me. Those of you that are married, you need to start thinking of each other as each other's armor bearer. There's times when I'm her armor bearer, and there's times where she's had to go, and she's going to be the one speaking at some ladies' conference, and I'm, I'm bearing some of her burden. I'll, I'll pray for you. You're going to do great. You're going to do great. Why? Not because of you, because the Lord will speak with, through you. The Lord will be with you. He'll give you these verses. And then a day later, a verse comes. See? That's what, you know, the Lord com- confirming. But we need to be doing that for one another. Amen? Confirming to one another, saying, no, 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 no. Don't shrink back. Here's what a lot of people would say. Remember when uh, Moses sent uh, the spies? Twelve went to look at the land. Two said, I think we can do it. What did the other ten say? Ain't no way we can do it. Not even, don't even try. We're going to get smoked. And so the Lord would have armor bearers say, Let's do it. I think we can do this. I think we can go. We can go together. Go then. I am with you according to your heart. See, he knew Jonathan's heart. He knew he had a heart after God. 
He knew he had a heart for people. When we collectively develop a heart for God, a heart for people, and you know with all of our imperfections, you, you can have that heart and still be an imperfect person. Guess what? You will still be an imperfect person but you can still have that heart. Our church can have that heart. I look back at the week, and w- did, we, did we take every step right down there? No, there's times I look back, and I shouldn't have said that. That came out wrong. Yes, that's going to happen, but armor bearers overlook that. Armor bearers say, that's okay. I see your heart. Do you see your brothers and sisters' hearts? You see, oh, no, I know that they have the right heart because love covers a multitude of what? sins. He didn't look at John and say, well, that was a doubting prayer. I heard him say, the Lord, uh, for nothing restraints, uh, perhaps, that's what he said, it may be the Lord will work for us. Well, if he was such a man of faith, he wouldn't have said it may be, so I don't really trust to go with him. No, at least he was saying, let's try it, right? He was just looking, uh, Jonathan may have been like, I was hoping you would say no. (laughs) You know, you realize, that. let me tell the rest of the story how this goes. The two of them they look up this cliff, and he basically says, if we shout up to the Philistines and they shout back to us, come up, we'll know it's God's sign that he's given them into our hands. But if they don't invite us up, invite us up. That inviting them up, if, if they got captured, they would have been tortured, then killed. But he said, if we get invited up, God's given them in their hands. If we're not invited up, then we'll know God is telling us to stay put. Well, they do get invited up, and they basically climb the face of this cliff, and they get up there, and they end up killing the first, like, 20 men, and then God turns them all on each other, and the whole army kind of starts to annihilate itself. And then all of a sudden, Saul and his men, hey, what's going on? A victory's under... Then Saul and his men start chasing after them. But Jonathan and the armor bearer initiate the whole victory. Basically, two guys smoke an entire army but it's God who does the work. They, they are not in it. It is not in their strength. And it just tells us that if God puts in our heart, you know, you should, you should get involved in this. You should help. You should get your hands dirty in ministry. You should start to feed and clothe and spiritually and, and physically, materially in both cases because Jesus did both, right? He met physical needs and he met spiritual needs. But the Lord would be speaking, and we have a giving church, we have a loving church, and yet God is telling us to go forward again. I say it all the time. You're going to hear me say this till the day I die. We've come a long way and we have a long way to go. And I don't care how old you are, how young you are, that's true. I've come a long way. I know I've come a long way. And yet I see how far I have to go. And sometimes that can be frustrating, but when an armor bearer says, don't worry about it, I've been through this too, then you move forward, and you're like, okay, we just take another step. God wants us to get the hands dirty. He wants us to do these things. He wants to save, but he wants us to strengthen one another, that we're saying to one another, I know your heart. Do all this in your heart. Let us go. I'm here with you. Aren't you glad you have people with you? There's no way you can do certain things by yourself. Uh, a very physical example, uh, Pastor Jorge, the last day, he wanted the guys to move this rock. Now, my hamstring was so jacked up, there was no way I could do it without, uh, I would be not standing here today if I had done it. Thankfully, there was five of us. Had there been four men, we were in trouble, but there was five men, so I could be left out, which I don't like, but I did supervise really well this. Um, uh, <laughs> I explained, you get here, you get here, you get here. And the four of them lifted that rock, but I'm not kidding. Do you men know? You, three men couldn't do it. And one of them's Trevor, and he's the size of three men. So um, 
but three men couldn't move that rock, but four men could. And I, and I saw these things, and the Lord was just, I wasn't even thinking about this message, which I already planned to preach, but the Lord just reminded me, this is a metaphor. There are certain things in life that one piece is still missing, and you might be that piece. I don't know what it is. Th- there's three sides being covered, but one side's being not covered, and when one side's not covered, nothing moves forward. But when the armor bearer says, the two of us will go, boom, it was like dynamite. The Lord says, now, Philistines don't have a chance. Isn't that great? That's the impact of together. Let's close in prayer.